If I told you this morning the goal of this sermon is for you to leave here and I want you to be a Barney, would that sound odd? Thank you, kids, for your honesty, young people. I said that to my wife this week. She kind of looked at me funny, and I said, well, just bear with me. When you think of Barney, two, two things came to my mind. The first was Barney Fife. How many of you know who that guy is? Andy Griffith. If you don't know who he is, you've got to go YouTube this afternoon. Andy Griffith, 1962, and watch an episode. Barney Fife is one of the great characters of all time. The second Barney that came to my mind, who do you think it was? Barney the, the Purple Dinosaur. <laughs> I got a funny Barney story to tell you. I was, I was talking to Coach Fobbs and his dad before church, and Coach Fobbs' dad used to coach at Texas A&M. I lived down in the College Station area for four years. I was pastoring down there. They're crazy people down there, aren't they, Coach? They, uh, they, are any of y'all Aggies in here? Because I just insulted you. But my wife's from down there. She's a little cray-cray. The cray-cray's not always bad. She's wonderful, but she's a little crazy. But, and so Barney was coming to College Station, and everybody was excited about it. And some person, and you, you, you just can't do this in this day and age. It was probably a joke. They called the television station and said, when Barney comes to town, we're going to pop a cap in him. We're, you know, we're going to kill Barney. And, and, and I don't th- I think it was a joke, but still. And so the local sheriff was infuriated. And the big headline in the newspaper was, I'll be danged if Barney is killed under my watch as sheriff. And I saw that and I thought, no wonder the people in New York City think we're all hillbillies down here. But that's my Barney story for you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 this morning if you have your Bibles. If you don't, the, the Bible, the verses will be on the screen. And I want to challenge you this morning. I think if you're a football player, if you're a cheerleader, if you're retired, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a student, whatever your lot is in life, if you will leave here this morning deciding that you want to be a Barney, I'm going to tell you, you'll be a game changer in life. What is a Barney? Let's begin with this. Be an encourager. A Barney is a Barnabas. It is an encourager. The hero of our story this Sunday and next Sunday, if you'll come back, is, is going to be this guy Barnabas. In verse 36, it says, for instance, there was Joseph. The one who the apostles named Nick, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Mr. Encourager, they called this guy named Joseph. That was a descriptive nickname. I remember when I was in high school, there was a guy who was really fast. He was called Rabbit. There was a guy who was really slow. He was called Turtle. It was descriptive. Barnabas was called Mr. Encourager, Mr. Encouragement, because of his behavior and who he was. It says he was a Levite. That just simply meant he was a priest. And it said he was from the island of Cyprus. Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's northwest of Israel. A pretty nice-sized island. Here's an interesting thing. It says he sold a lot of land, and he gave it to the church. Well, Levites, technically, were not supposed to own land. That's what the Old Testament law said. So it's one of a couple of things here. This may have been his wife's land that when they got married, and they had, and then he sold it. It may have been that he owned that land in Cyprus, not in Israel, which would not have been illegal. Or some scholars say by the time that... This was written that the law, that Old Testament law was not being practiced anymore. But anyway, he, we're going to unpack that more in a moment. But he has a piece of land, apparently a significant piece of land, and he sells it. And he's known as Mr. Encourager. 
Mr. I build up the people around me. Now, before we jump into this, I want to I throw a disclaimer at you. I wanna, before I challenge you to be an encourager, I want to tell you some, some don'ts of the encouragement realm. A, a disclaimer. Here is the first thing. Don't flatter people. Now, I was talking to, my, uh, to a person this week, and, and they, I was talking about flattery, and they said, well, flattery, that's not a bad thing, because sometimes, you know, you, you put on a jacket or you get a haircut, and they say, well, that flatters you, that you look good in that, that's flattering. But the biblical idea of flattery is a negative concept. It, it, it's, it's insincere encouragement. You're being, you're being phony. You're a poser is what a flatterer is. In, in Psalms chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Neighbors lie to each other, speaking with flattering lips and deceitful hearts. In Proverbs 26, 28, it says, A lying tongue hates its victims. We would all agree with that. And flattering words cause ruin. What's the difference in flattery and encouragement? What's the difference in being a fake and, and really using your life and your words to make your team, your family, your world better? A flatterer, flattery is by definition, it's, it's excessive. Oh, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. Insincere encouragement is what it boils down to. I'll give you kind of a couple of ideas. It's insincere. It's walking past somebody and patting them on the back and saying, you're the best, and you don't mean it. <laughs> They're not the best. You're, you're, you're just saying that you're just you're blowing smoke. It, it's insincere. It's fake. It's fake. It's hypocritical. It's, it's the person that comes by and says, man, you did a great job, and then they walk past you and look at somebody else and roll their eyes. It's, it's insincere. And, and flattery is about you more than it's about them. I tell you, you've done great, so maybe you'll say to me, I've done great. I tell you how wonderful you are because I want you to buy my product. You ever seen that with a salesperson? Hey, you look really good today. Come on in here, and this will really make you even look better, but you're hard to look better. And you're going, you are Selling me something, aren't you? It, it, it's self-serving. Flattery is flattery's not helping the other person or the other team or the other cause. It's, it, it's, it's about you and it's helping you. So don't be guilty of flattery. That's not a good thing. Here is another thing this morning, a disclaimer. Be worthy of encouragement. Now, what do I mean by that? Isn't everybody worthy of being encouraged and built up? Yes, to some degree. But, but listen, here's, here's a problem that we have. Sometimes. Sometimes you need to be sitting on the bench. Sometimes you need to make an F and you need to repeat that grade next year. Sometimes mom and dad need to take your phone or your car away from you for six weeks. Sometimes your boss needs to say, "Not you are so great. Your boss needs to say, look, you're doing a really bad job and if you don't get it right, you're gone. So I want to challenge you and me this morning. Be worthy of encouragement. Be worthy of encouragement. And the last part of this disclaimer is don't sit here this morning thinking of all the people who aren't giving you this. That's easy to do, isn't it? Well, man, I wish my wife was listening better this morning. We'll elbow her occasionally. Or I wish my husband will elbow him occasionally. But that's missing the whole point. See, if we come to a sermon and all we're thinking about is how everybody else is failing us in this area, we're missing the point. So don't focus on what's not being done to you. Focus this morning on what you can do to other people. So let's dive into the heart of it. Encourage people with your words. Verse 36, for instance, there was Joseph, the one, the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of 
encouragement. Folks, encouragement means to help people. It means to comfort people. It means to build people up. The church is suffering at this time. They're being persecuted. They're being beaten on. And here's a guy that comes in, and I'm going to say this a lot in the next two weeks. We have no clue about his preaching, speaking ability, singing ability, leadership, anything about that. But all we know is he gets a lot of play in the good book because he built people up and he encouraged them sincerely. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, there's a great little verse. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Build people up. Encourage people. Can I tell you something some of you need to hear? Some of us pass out encouragement like it's a $100 bill. It's painful. We just don't want to do it. Don't be a fake. Don't flatter people. Be sincere. But come on. We can help people more, can't we? Sometimes we're, we're, well, if I encourage them too much, it'll build their head up. They'll get a big head. Listen, anybody that's on a platform, they're getting torn down enough. You don't have to worry about building them up too much. Encourage people. Use that tongue and that mouth that God has given you to bless and encourage. And here's, here's, a, here's a good thing to think about, too. When you encourage people, inter- encouraging people is like critiquing people. Be as specific as you can be. It's not real helpful to walk up to somebody and go, you're just doing a terrible job. Tell them how they're not doing a good job. And it's great to tell someone you're doing a great job, but it's better the more specific that you can be. Man, to your spouse, guys, to your wife, thank you for making those Pop-Tarts this morning. I love strawberry Pop-Tarts. And that butter on that Pop-Tarts, they were awesome. They were awesome. We had a big discussion, Coach, a few years ago. This is a true story about people. When you eat Pop-Tarts, you are supposed to put those in the toaster and put butter on them. That's in the Bible. And like half my people were like offended by that. Listen, how many of you are butter and hot Pop-Tart people? There's four of us. Four of us are going to heaven. That's wonderful to know this morning. The Bible said the way is narrow. The way is narrow. Be specific with people. I need to get off that. We're not getting anywhere with it. Listen, I read this this week. Brain scientists tell us, brain scientists tell us that when you receive a verbal compliment, your brain recognizes that like someone was giving you money. Is that not incredible? It rings that same bell in your head. So I've got a strategy. After church, come by say, Pastor, great sermon. You're losing weight, and here's a $50 bill. We can hit a trifecto there, right? But, but the neat thing about that is, is that when you build somebody up, it's saying to their brain, it's almost like you're giving them some money. That's awesome. Coach Fobbs, I want to encourage y'all for a minute. Can I do that? Players, I, you, you know this, and, and I'm not, he, he didn't pay me to do this, I promise you. Coach Fobbs is an awesome guy. I don't know him near as well as I wish I did, but I, kn- I knew him through Lance Wright very well. I read a long article, a long article last weekend about you, Coach, and it talked about your journey and his journey back to Grambling, about your walk with Christ, about how much time you pray, your love for Grambling, your love for your players. Y'all got a great coach, and I want to encourage you. Coach, I was thinking, my son's gone. He's out of college. But if I had a son who was college age and he could play for you, I'd want him to. Now, I got to thinking about that. You'll probably tell me there, if I had a son college age, he wouldn't be talented enough or good enough to play for you. And that's probably true. But he could hold a, a dummy, couldn't he? He could, be a, he could wear a, an opposing journey. And you know, you know what, Coach, reading that article, too, you guys won a national championship last year. 
Uh, you got great coaches on your staff, don't you? And I want to encourage you assistant coaches. You see Damon back there. Damon's been a member of our church on and off through the years. And, and he's back in, in Louisiana again from California. You've got great assistant coaches. Coaches, you've done a great job. And many of you, how many of you were on the team last year? You won your conference. You, you, run, you won the Western Division. You won the conference. And you won a national championship. Guys, give them another hand for that. Isn't that not awesome? So I want to encourage you, man, have a great year. Coach, y'all keep doing what you're doing. Assistant coaches, keep doing what you're doing. Players, keep doing what you're doing. Every Saturday, if I'm in Texas or Arkansas doing a wedding or a funeral, I'm looking at my phone, and I want to see what Tech and Grambling did. That's the first two people I want to know. And on Sunday, I want to look and see, did the Cowboys get beat? Did the Cowboys get beat? Did the Cowboys get beat? But it's Tech and Grambling on Saturday. I want to encourage the rest of you. Some of you play sports at Cedar Creek. Some of you play at Ruston. You may play at Shudron. You're starting a new school year. You've got a clean slate. Man, go get it this year. Have a great year. And if making a C is the best you can do, make a top-level C. And Mom and Daddy's always get mad when I say that, but, but do the best you can do. I want to encourage you. You can have a great year if you will put your head and hand and heart to the grind and get with it. Years ago, there was a young preacher in West Texas. He surrendered to preach, felt like God wanted him to preach when he was in high school. And so the pastor gave him an opportunity to preach his first sermon. He got up on a Sunday night at this little church. He preached for five minutes. Now, I know that's everybody's dream sermon out here. And he froze. I mean, he completely choked. And he stood there and he started crying. The pastor was a very gentle, sweet, wise man. He just came up and gave the invitation, and they ended the service. And this young man walked off the stage and sat down and cried. An elderly man came up to him after church, a man named Frank Lang, and he put his arm around him. He didn't blow smoke on him. Oh, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. It was a terrible sermon. He didn't tell him, you'll be on TV next year preaching at Joel Osteen's church because Joel Osteen wasn't born then. You know what he said to him? He goes, you believe God called you. And if you'll pray hard and you'll study hard and you'll get some education and you'll work real hard, you're going to be a great preacher someday. That young preacher was a guy named Frank Pollard. Years later, Time Magazine named him as one of the six most influential preachers in America. He goes back to that night when he preached that five-minute terrible sermon and that man put his arm around him and said, you can do this to what helped him stay on the track to greatness. Isn't that awesome? Encourage people with your words. Make people better by what you say. Here's an, another thing. Encourage people by your generosity. And this is not a tithing sermon. This is not just about money. So back off. Don't get panicky. Don't have to go to the bathroom right now. How many of you know people who are frugal? Let me, let me translate that. How many of you know people who are really tight with their money? I got, there's people doing like this, pointing we do have cameras in here, by the way. My, uh, my administrative pastor is standing at the back. His name is Clayton. And Clayton o- oversees our finances. And I'll put this, I think this is politically correct. He's frugal. But you want someone overseeing your money that's frugal, correct? 
And Clayton's frugal. When Clayton and Mary had just gotten married, Mary didn't even remember this story, I had to remind her. Years ago, they were at a county fair in Tennessee, and there was an an old-fashioned plane, like a crop duster, that was open and had three seats. Pilot was in the front, and then two passengers would get in the back. And this guy's doing stunts. He'd take people up for $50 for 20 minutes, doing flips and stunts. And so Clayton and Mary are arguing, and Clayton is saying, I'm not going to pay $50. That's way too much. So they're arguing back and forth. Finally, the guy just gets tired of it. He walks over and goes, look, y'all are driving me crazy. For $10, I will give you the flight. But here's the deal. Neither one of you open your mouth at all during the whole thing. Nothing. Well, Clayton heard that $10 and it rang a bell. So he said, absolutely, we'll do it. They get in the plane. They go up. They're, they're making the flips. They're turning. It's unbelievable. It's awesome. Nobody says a word. They land 20 minutes later. The pilot and Clayton get out and they notice Mary's not in the plane. And the pilot says, where is your wife? And Clayton said, she fell out the first five minutes. He said, why didn't you tell me? He said, you're going to charge me 40 more dollars. She landed in a pond. She was safe. It was all good. But look, in that, that's, I think that's true. I'm not sure. Verse 37. Verse 37. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. Now, they were, people were doing this. If you were to read back a little bit, there were a lot of people doing this. So what was significant about this? It was one of two things. Either it was such a huge gift that it got everybody's attention, or it was such a huge sacrifice that got everyone's attention. Folks, I want to tell you, and we'll talk about a big gift and a little gift in a minute. With your generosity to people, and God doesn't expect you to be generous except with what you have, you encourage and help people. Coach Fobbs, if, if somebody came up to you tomorrow and said, here's a million-dollar check for the Grambling football program, would that encourage you? <laughs> Absolutely. I see Brooks Hull. He's our vice president for advancement from tech back here. Brooks, a million-dollar check would be good, wouldn't it? Hey, a few, th- I haven't even told the whole church this story. A few weeks ago, we purchased the last part of this block over here. Our church owns this whole block now, which is, which is awesome. And we had, it had been 10 years in negotiations. We finally got it, and we, we had to pay a good price for it. We, had to, we, we took some of the money, and we put it on a, a church loan that we got building this new children's building. And then we took $125,000 out of the bank. Now, I know a lot of you big rollers in here, $125,000 is nothing. To Daddy, that's a lot of money. And that's a whole lot of money because I'm responsible for that under God. We took $125,000 out of the checking account. Poof. So I did it, but I mean, we prayed, we prayed, we listened to God, we talked as a church, we voted unanimously to do it, we believed it was right. Being right doesn't make it easy, by the way. About two weeks later, out of nowhere, someone gave the church a check that put $150,000 right back in that checking account. Is that not incredible? I mean, not only did it affirm that we did the right thing, but it was so encouraging. Listen, I want to tell you, you may not be able to write a $150,000 check or a $10,000 check, but you encourage people by your generosity. Buy somebody supper. Hey, guys, help a younger guy out. Give him a ride. Buy him a meal. Give him your time. Be generous with your life and your stuff to people. You encourage them and you build them up. A pilot was talking to uh, people on a plane, true story, and they were headed to Europe from, from New York. And he said, we're going 500 miles an hour, but 
we have a tailwind behind us of 150 knots. So basically, we're going 650 miles an hour. He goes, I just talked to someone leaving England, coming back to America. They are flying into a headwind. They're going 500 miles an hour, but guess what? They are flying into a 150-mile-an-hour headwind. They're flying 350 miles an hour. Which plane do you want to be on? You know, when I thought about that, you and I in life are either a headwind or a tailwind. We're either stopping our team, our church, our family, our others. We're holding them back. We're putting the brakes on them. Or we're a tailwind. We are propelling them to greatness. Be a tailwind. Encourage people. Build them up. Be generous with your life and your time and your money. Here's the second thing about this great guy, Barney, that I want to encourage you to do. Be willing to be number two. Be willing to be the second guy or the second girl. Next week, we're going to see this in more detail. But Barnabas is a Christian. He's a Christian leader. And there's a guy named Saul who gets saved. Saul becomes Paul. You know Paul. Everybody in here knows Paul. And so nobody wants anything to do with Saul. But Barnabas takes him in. And Barnabas is the leader. I mean, he's been a Christian a lot longer. He's a lot farther on the journey. I want to show you some real subtle things in the book of Acts that show a tremendous character trait of Barnabas. In Acts chapter 11, verse 30, and I'm just going to touch on a few of these. There's a bunch. It says, this they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul. Who's first? Barnabas. Who's first? Barnabas is the leader. Then we go to Acts 12, 25. And again, there's a lot of these, but I'm going to touch on two. When Barnabas and Saul, he's first. Hey, that's the head coach. You put the head coach before you do the assistant coach, the head coach. But in Acts chapter 13, there is a shift. In Acts 13, verse 46, little shift, it says, Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out. We go to Acts chapter 15, verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with these people who were doing wrong. Acts 15, 22 it talks about the apostles and the elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas. Well, now, folks, I believe every single word in the Bible was put there by God. There's none of it's an accident. The order of things are not accident. Here's what was happening. Barnabas was the leader. But as time went on, you know what he noticed? Saul's the leader. Paul's the leader. Paul's a better preacher. Paul's a better leader. Paul's a stronger missionary. Paul's obviously a better writer. And Barnabas has no problem with this at all. Hey, are y'all listening? He has no problem. He's the starter. He's the star. And he realizes someone's better. You know what he does? He steps back and he claps him on and he supports him. You realize how rare that is? You realize how rare that is in every area of life? Years ago, I heard a missionary who had been, it was either in Europe or Africa for years, and he had managed and led a lot of missionaries. And he was asked, what's the greatest problem on the mission field? I would have thought, well, lack of funds, American churches not praying. Here's what he said. All the missionaries want to be number one. Everybody wants to be the big dog. Everybody wants to be in charge. You want to be somebody great? You be willing to step back if you need to and let somebody else shine. Recognize your abilities and your, your gifting 
Sometimes you're going to lead, sometimes you need to follow. But it takes a great, great person to do that. You know who Teddy Roosevelt was? Teddy Roosevelt was a very interesting character, president of the United States. Apparently, he liked Teddy a lot, too. <laughs> One of his daughters said about Daddy, she goes, she goes, when we go to a wedding, Daddy's sad that he can't be the bride. And we go to a funeral, he's sad he's not the one in the coffin getting all the attention. He wanted to be the sinner. Is that you? If it is, you're normal, but I think there's something we ought to do about it. Ed Colvin is our children's minister. Ed is not here uh, in this service right now. He's, uh, he's in kids' worship. I want to tell you a great story about Ed. Ed was a good athlete. Ed played football two years at the University of Louisiana Monroe. When Ed was in high school, went to Bernie's High School. If you don't know where that is, it's a suburb of Dubach. Ed played football. In his senior year, Bernice only had nine guys on the basketball team. Well, everybody knows in here you need five to make a team. And to scrimmage, you need five others, don't you? And so the coach came to Ed, and he said, Ed, 6'2", 6'3", and he said, Ed, we want you to come out and play on the basketball team. Here's what Ed told him. Ed said, Coach, I will come out, and I will, I will be on the team under one condition, that you never put me in a game. I'll practice, I'll scrimmage, I'll help the team. I just don't want to ever play. Is that not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? And I'm not saying you shouldn't want to play and you shouldn't want to be a starter. But listen, most people are just the opposite. I don't really want to practice, but you need to start me on the game. And coach, if I'm not going to get to play, I'm going to pout, I'm going to quit, and I'm not going to try as hard. Am I right? Or this, mommy and daddy are going to come up there and mommy and daddy are going to ring your bell because they got power and influence and you'll be looking for a new job. I love Ed for a thousand reasons, but when I think about that, Ed was willing to say, I want to be on the team. I'll help the team succeed, but don't dare put me in a game. That's incredible. That's Barnabas. Would you look at your situation I want to ask you, is your team more important than you? Is your church more important than you? Is your organization more important than you? What about this? Is your family more important than you? If it is, sometimes you're out front. Sometimes you need to step aside and let other people shine. It takes a really big man or woman to do that. But I want to encourage you to be that person. See, a lot of times when we look at people in the Bible, even looking at Paul, I mean, a guy that with an intellect that was unbelievable, preacher, missionary, writer, it's, it's unattainable for most of us. Barnabas is obtainable. Here's a guy that we know nothing about his ability to preach or teach or sing or write or lead. All we know is that he was so encouraging, they called him Mr. Encourager. All we know that he was so generous with his life and his time and his stuff that it made the Bible. 25 times in the book of Acts, Barnabas is mentioned. Five times in the other books in the New Testament, Barnabas is mentioned. Guys, you can't always be the star, but you can always be a hero. And if you're the one encouraging and pushing everybody else up, I can tell you in God's eyes, 
you're a winner. I want to encourage you to be a Barney. Let's pray.